It's no secret the NFL has a problem with race. Think Colin Kaepernick. Think Brian Flores. But this isn't a new problem. It's one that started as far back as the 1930s, with a ban on Black players in the NFL, with a past that informs the present. Blackballed is a new miniseries podcast from The Ringer about the four men who broke the color barrier in football. I'm your host, Chelsea Stark-Jones. You can find Blackballed on The Ringer NFL feed. Trial by Content. It's the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the Coliseum of Contentious Opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will enter Trial by Content and decide which two films will move on to the final round of... The Cage Match. Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez. Oh, hi, I'm Jenna Robinson. And I'm Neil Miller. This week, we're kicking off another multi-episode trial royale celebrating and investigating the performances of actor Nicolas Cage. We've collected your email responses into a bracket of eight Nicolas Cage movies split into two groups of four, what we're calling the caged and uncaged categories. This week, we turn our eyes to the action category, Uncaged. We'll be offering up four movies, two with lots of gunplay, one with a southern accent, and one that loves America and ends with a dungeon. Speaking of dungeons, <laughs> last week we asked you what was the best on-screen moment with a dungeon and or dragon as a stealth way of polling just what you thought a dungeon was. Joanna, how'd we do? I don't think that was a dungeon in National Treasure. I think that was either like a crypt or what would you call it, Neil? Certainly not I a mean, dungeon. It's as much a dungeon as the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I don't know if I can argue too much against it. All right, fine. Since Neil was a traitor and didn't support me at all in that, I will <laughs> gladly Remember, say Remember, I was that on his, Team Dragon and we got his, crushed. So. His dragon entry really tanked with only 8% of the vote. Um, the other dragon submission, uh, our listeners from Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, got about like 24% of the vote. Then we move on to the dungeons. Um, and Ober Martell and the Black Cells, which everyone agrees is a dungeon, textbook dungeon, 28% of the vote, but at the top. But democratically, we've agreed on a different definition of a dungeon. <laughs> at the top, I really think people just saw the Balrog and clicked on it. At the top, our listener Pat submitted The Minds of Moria from one of the most popular films of all time, I guess. Uh, and with which got 40% of the vote. And we agreed last week that this would count as a win for Dave and a win for his bizarre, unfathomable definition of dungeons. So adventure-based dungeon definition. Take your take your victory lap, Dave. How do you feel? I feel I feel great. Uh, I'm glad that people are seeing the Dungeons and Dragons movie. That was what I really wanted to do. Secondary, I wanted to uh, really push people to vote that a dungeon was better than a dragon. So even if I didn't win, Joanna, in Wait. our little face-off. 
I'm just happy that dungeons get represented here on this podcast. You, you know what? I'm saying you did win. I'm saying you did win, first of all. And secondly, this is a new stance that I didn't hear last week, which is that dungeons are better than dragons. <laughs> no, no. Is that I wanted what you think a dungeon. I wanted a dungeon to win. Whether or not it's actually better or not, the people I think have voted that it was. But my thought <laughs> was that this this could have just been uh, best dungeon and uh, we would have had a, a rollicking good time. Uh, but that's maybe just because I've seen you guys do panels on dragons. Uh, Neil and I did another podcast a month just about dragons. So I was very happy to dig into dungeons and I'm glad uh, the listeners were too. Can I tell our gentle, our gentle listeners a quick story about that dragon panel that Neil and I once did at uh, <laughs> Con of Thrones? Yep. Which is that we did a panel on dragons. Great. It was great. We were wonderful as per usual. Dave really did not it. decide to come up and help us. That's fine. Dave just let us like twist in the wind on that. If I recall correctly, he did provide yes. some support from the audience. Dave instead sat in the back of the audience and heckled us by <laughs> saying, they eat ash, talking about the rain of fire dragons. That's all he did. Just heckled us from the back of the room as Neil and I tried to ho- hold down a respectable panel on dragons. Anyway, uh, Victory for Dave's terrible definition of dungeons. It's a, it's a big threat for... to never kick me off this show because I will heckle <laughs> you here too. Victory for Dave. Victory for our beloved Pat, uh, one of our longest listeners. Um, that I think that's the closest we've ever gotten to like a real, real debate on this trial-like content <laughs> debate show. What the fuck is a dungeon? Neil, are you convinced? I mean, I, now I feel like we need to come back to this, uh, probably when they make a Dungeons and Dragons sequel and just do a dungeon debate. In because, which Nick Cage you know, will definitely for team, star. <laughs> yeah, in which Nick Nick Cage will still somehow win. But you know, speaking for Team Dragon, I'm 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 not mad because friendship was achieved. You know, uh, the, the Knights of Neil were over five percent. That's great. Also, you know, uh, we, we love dragons, but. Uh, yeah, maybe they were a little outmatched by the dungeons because, for good reason, we spent a lot of time on dungeons last week. <laughs> if you want, if you want to spend more time in a dungeon with the subject of today's uh, podcast uh, debate, I I would suspect that there are dungeons in the film The Sorcerer's Apprentice. That's where I would go look for <laughs> Nicolas Cage, the overlap of Nicolas Cage and dungeons. Okay. I, I don't know if Cage has ever been kept in a dungeon. But that movie probably comes close. I think he's like uh, at least a captive at some point. Today we're here to talk about a, a really important piece of cinema that we have yet to see, but we're really excited about. We're doing a whole month of Cage. And the whole month of Cage is inspired by one film that may or may not be good, but we're really hoping is good, which is called Redfield. Come on, be good. The main, I mean, I've spoken to a friend of the pod who, did not like it, but we're still excited to see it. Uh, Nicholas Holt is the titular star of, he is the Renfield himself, who according to, you know, Bram Stoker lore or whatever, is the thrall of Dracula. Meanwhile, if you're watching that trailer and you don't know that Nicholas Cage is in this movie, Nicholas Cage, the first trailer, he shows up right at the end in full Dracula drag, Dracula, and to just like elevate the film to another level because you're like, this is what Nick Cage does, right? You're watching this, you're like, okay, I, I buy this premise that like maybe Nicholas Holt is Renfield and and Aquafina 
you know, this is interesting. I'm kind of interested. And then Nick Cage is like, what if I do something absolutely bad shit? And obviously, like, what is also true of a Nick Cage performance is that almost always you can feel him just, like, fulfilling a lifelong goal that he has set for himself. <laughs> and I bet I haven't heard him say it out loud. I've heard him talk about how Francis Ford Coppola inspired him. We'll talk about that later. But uh, But I bet if you asked him, like, Five years ago, would you ever love to play Dracula? He'd be like, "Yes, I've studied every Dracula film, and I really, really have always wanted to be Dracula." I mean, one of the things that's important to know about Nicolas Cage is that he loves old time movie stars. So, like Nicolas Cage being able to do like a Bella Lugosi, oh yeah, is you know that's that's what little baby Nicholas Kim Coppola dreamed of. <laughs> Nicholas Kim Coppola is who we are here to talk about today. Nicholas Kim Dracula is what Neil has nicknamed him in the in the notes, or or you might know him as Nicholas or Nick Cage. Um, he is yes, in case you didn't know, a, a textbook nepo baby, but a nepo baby who changed his name so as not to like coast on the name of his very famous, I believe, uncle Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, Neil, anything you want to say on the nepo baby front as yeah. it uh, pertains to Nicholas Cage? So I had a really funny interaction the other night uh, where I I may have uh, found some herbal supplements and began trying to get to know my enemy, the chat GPT AI that's going to take all of our jobs once it figures out how to podcast. <laughs> and I started asking it, you know, about Nicolas Cage movies. What is a, a dungeon? <laughs> I should have asked it what is a dungeon. But mostly I wanted to know if the AI bot thinks that it's possible that humans will ever invent the technology from face-off. And it was very pessimistic about the potential. Oh. We don't we don't think face-off is ever going to come true, which a little disappointing, AI. But one thing I did want to know, because I knew it was going to be a sticky subject around Nicolas Cage, is did the chatbot in its, all its research uh, find that Nicolas Cage has been the beneficiary of nepotism? And its answer surprised me, because it, it immediately became very defensive of Nick Cage, and it gave me the, well... You know, of course, his uncle is Francis Ford Coppola, and that would provide him certain advantages. But Nicolas Cage has worked really hard. He won an Oscar. He's a great act. You know, really went hardcore. Is Nick I was like, all right, well, Chat I get GPT? it. <laughs> I get it, Chat GPT. My next question was, can you give me an example of someone in Hollywood who has benefited from nepotism? And you guys are going to think that I'm making this up, but its answer was Nicolas Cage's Frickin' cousin, Sophia Coppola. <laughs> and I was like, what's the difference? Wow, it's I was sexist. Like, <laughs> and, and I think here we have identified ChatGPT's bias because I was like, wait, that's his cousin. Oh, <laughs> like, yes. They are My literally related. God. It could have picked anyone. It could have, Max Landis was right there. <laughs> Emma, <laughs> Emma Roberts, perhaps. Immediately oh, to Sophia Coppola. My- <laughs> the reasoning given because she got her break as a literal baby in The Godfather and then was. Oh, um, a literal. You know, in- ne- oh, okay. Maybe Chat GPT isn't sexist. Maybe it's just like literal. But I did find it funny that its immediate answer was like his female cousin, who's turned out to be a really great director. Maybe not as much uh, an actor as her cousin, no. Nicholas, but uh, wow. I, it, it was an eye opening experience because. 
immediately I was like, oh, I see where your bias is, uh, chatbot. <laughs> and I'm not as afraid of you as I used to be because <laughs> this is hilarious. My jaw, my jaw is on the floor. Good news. <laughs> Skynet's an idiot. <laughs> so, I mean, it could have chosen anyone else. <laughs> who do you who do you think is like the ultimate Nepo baby? Is it are you picking Landis? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you get your it's I I, I yeah. I don't know. The Sofia Coppola one, she's actually a really good filmmaker. Like she's made some really good movies. So I feel like she has elevated her her level of talent as a filmmaker. May, again, maybe not as an actor because she's not great in Godfather Three, but but she was like a teenager. Um, but I think that sort of moves you beyond even the shadow of a father like Francis Ford Coppola, a filmmaking one of you know one of the USC mafia from back in the day. So. Um, yeah, it would be a bit like a Max Landis or maybe even like a Jason Reitman, even though I like some Jason Reitman movies. Or uh, Scott Eastwood, I guess, would be the more. Oh, Scott Eastwood's oh, Scott a really Eastwood. good Because then it's like, you see Scott Eastwood in a movie and you're like, this doesn't track. He did not make it here on his own. Like, he is sculpted entirely a potato. It's like if you if you sculpted Clint Eastwood and made him out of potato, that's who Scott Eastwood is. Oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, it's like he has no business being here. Whereas... I don't think you can make that argument for either of the Coppola cousins. Nor, Nick Cage, great nor actor. Sofia, great Schwartzman, director. Nor Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, right? Or even uh, we talked about John Schwartzman. I think Dave and I we were talking about Armageddon, the DP of Armageddon, who is like Roman, also in that Roman family Coppola. tree. Uh, everyone in the Coppola family tree can stay. Um, sure. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I was thinking like you, you went on like didn't earn their place here. And I think that's a good direction to go in. I went with like most Nepo. And so I want to do like someone like Drew Barrymore who comes from like the long line of the Barrymore acting family or Dakota Johnson, both of whom I really like and think are very talented, but Dakota Johnson with like two famous parents and a famous grandma. I think even Tuppy. When you, when you're on your like like, third generation, third gen Hollywood royalty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dave, any Nepo baby opinions you want to weigh in with? Oh, mine are all kind of mean, but like, Maybe Johnny Depp's <laughs> daughter a, shouldn't be in movies. I think would be oh. the nicest I could be about that. Good old, good old Lily Rose. How dare you go mean when I said that Scott Eastwood was made of potatoes? I mean, that's just a provable fact. I think <laughs> I've, I've asked Chat GDP, and it's like, yes. First, you mash the potatoes, then you sculpt them into an Eastwood. <laughs> and listen, is that is it fair to Scott Eastwood to compare him to Clint Eastwood? I don't, I don't know, but. He's the one trying to be an actor. So here we are. Oh, my God. All right. Um, I also thought we should start maybe since we're just spent a month with him. I thought maybe we should start with our earliest Nicolas Cage memory. And this can either be like, um, I feel like I wasn't specific enough with the prompt. So if your answer is like first time you saw him in a film, that's great. If your answer is like something more personal and in real life and a story you want to tell Neil, that's great, too. So, um <laughs> So Dave, what's your first, what's your earliest Nicolas Cage memory? Um, uh, the one that jumps out to me the most is in the trailer uh, for City of Angels as a remake of Wings of Desire, which I was aware of because my English teacher was like, "Let's watch Wings of Desire uh, before City of Angels come out." Came out in that uh, trailer, he asked Meg Ryan, uh, "What does a peach taste like?" She's like, "You don't know what a peach tastes like," and he's like, "I don't know what a peach tastes like to you," and I'm like. That is a line I want to use on somebody. So I sent uh, <laughs> I sent 
uh, like an eighth month uh, grace period, uh, but then resurfaced it and tried to use it on somebody. Doesn't work if you're not an angel. Uh, but I did, that was like part of my game in high school is if I would see media uh, had like a good line that I thought I could make into an actual line, I, I would try. And you get caught like eight out of 10 percent of the time. But those like two times you don't, uh, it really makes it worth it, which is why I once tricked one of my then girlfriends. Oh, tricked. tricked is yeah. a great is a great word. <laughs> I mean, I'm good being completely honest about it, but I, I yeah. used the uh the, the wedding cla- wedding crasher uh, Owen Wilson line about two people finding their counterpoint. And it fucking worked. And then two years later, she watched Wedding Crashes for the first time <gasps> and remembered. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that person is now a very successful lady married to somebody, not me. So touche, Dave. <laughs> um, Dave, Dirtbag Dave stories are some of my favorites that you tell. Mm-hmm. I love your It shows we can all be rehabilitated. It's just yeah. focus on dungeons, less on getting laid, <laughs> and your life will be I- great. <laughs> I have a I have a follow up for your because we we briefly mentioned City of Angels before we started recording. And I almost said the one thing that I well I remember two things from City of Angels the ending which we don't have to talk about but like uh okay three things and the soundtrack but the third thing is a line from City of Angels which is the line you're talking about except I know that it's a pear not a peach. Oh, so do you think I you got, got it influenced. wrong? Do you, you got influenced by Face Off? I got influenced on this podcast (laughs) by just assuming that Nicolas Cage was Peach. Yes, Pear. It is Pear. You're correct. Uh, I didn't rewatch that because I assumed my memory was uh, good, but I got got Yellow Jackets real bad in that story. No, I I think about... (laughs) I think about the whole what is a pear taste like conversation all the time because you guys should it's on youtube you can go look it up it is either very sexy or not um it's like right on that line (laughs) yeah uh neil what's your earliest memory of nicholas cage uh well mine mine is seeing nicholas cage in a movie i have a meeting nicholas cage story that we'll get to but um this of course is like many of my stories a story about someone in my family letting me see a movie that i was not ready for way too early and that movie was Raising Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember seeing, this came out in what, 1987. I saw it when it probably first came out on VHS. So like 88, 89, I was like six. <laughs> and the, there are two things that will forever be embedded in my brain. First of all, the two accents at work between Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter. Like it's some all-time hilarious accent work. Um, for Edwina and High, but it's the scene where the monstrous biker guy shows up. Like at the time, was the scariest thing I had ever experienced in my life. <laughs> like just seeing that biker show up, and there's that scene where he's just like, there's like it's like a standoff, and the biker's just sitting there revving, and they're just like panning over all of his like leather studs and. Uh, just one of the more terrifying things that little little child Neil could have experienced. So, raising Arizona, I was always on Nicolas Cage's side after that because he he was up against even though he stole that baby, he was up against that monstrous biker. So. He like Charlie on Lost definitely stole a baby. Um. <laughs> but yeah, way too early for me to be seeing that movie. My like movie education as a kid came from like watching stuff that was just on rerun on cable. 
like, because that's what you did, right? And then, like, American Movie Classics. So I would watch, like, old movies on American Movie Classics before TCM was a thing. And then, like, whatever was on TBS or TNT or whatever. So the first film I ever saw Nicolas Cage in was Peggy Sue Got Married. The baffling, great question mark, who's to say? Kathleen Turner time travel movie. Um, where he plays her husband and we meet him as like a teenager and he's got, uh, he's making two strong choices in this movie. Number one, the hair is a, an enormous bleached bouffant situation. Number two, the voice. Nicolas Cage is doing big voice work <laughs> in this movie for no apparent reason. And I was just like, I don't get it. I don't <laughs> get it at all. I don't understand. I had already seen Kathleen Turner in Romancing the Stone. I'm like, Michael Douglas, I get this. I don't get. And then I saw Moonstruck and I was like, oh, I get it. So, uh, yeah, my my journey with Nicolas Cage is not in the action realm. It is in the like uh, great lover realm, which brings me to I'm going to skip ahead to another thing we're going to do, which is I'm calling the many loves of Nicolas Cage. Um, our guy has been married five times. Nice. Um, he, I'm going to tell you four people he has either dated or married that are famous. There are many more, but these are the four most famous. And I want you to tell me like who you think might secretly be the love of Nicolas Cage's life. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. The, right. I'm going to get the room. The rumor one is an added bonus. I'm going to get it out of the way. Angelina Jolie. Perhaps they did or perhaps they didn't on Gone in 60 Seconds, but the internet thinks they did. Sure. I mean... You know, they definitely had chemistry on screen in that movie. So Absolutely. Other options are Brooke Shields, Sarah Jessica Parker, a woman he married, Patricia Arquette, Oscar winner Patricia Arquette, or the late great Nepo baby herself, Lisa Marie Presley, who is the love of oh. Nicolas Cage's life. Ooh. Hmm. Lisa Marie, Patricia, Sarah Jessica, or Brooke? I would almost go with Lisa Marie Presley. I feel also they had a that fun is Lisa time. Marie. I remember when they were. It was, it was a wild time, right? Lisa yeah. Marie had some fun times. You know, pour one out. R.I.P. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure Nicolas Cage really enjoyed that. But did he like? I know he did come out and uh, give a heartbroken statement. Okay, good. So yeah, I, I also feel uh, Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie Presley, just because. She matches knowing, energy, right? Mm-hmm. She, yeah, she she mat well. She matches the energy of lots of people she marries, uh, which I think is like a benefit. But in terms of like Nicolas Cage and his like vague elvish fetish that works its way into a bunch of his movies, I bet he was just like, yes, like she gets a part of me that uh, was born from her father. Also, and listen, not to keep going on the nepo baby thing, but there is, I think, a certain level. Of like being a Nepo baby where yeah. your family is so famous that it sort of becomes something else. And Cage is sort of in that, right? With the Coppolas and obviously being Elvis's, being in Elvis's family is like that. So, you know, maybe they understood each other in a way that we could never understand either of those people. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Cage, 59, is currently married to a woman named Rico Shibata. Uh, she was 25 when they met. She is currently 27. And... That makes her uh, younger than his oldest son, Weston. So there you go. That is the love life of one Mr. Nicholas Kim Coppola. Like I said, he really did idolize those classic Hollywood movie stars. 
Um, I right. know what a pear tastes like to my son, but what does a pear <laughs> taste like to you? Oh, oh, sugary sand is the answer. All right. Um, <laughs> Neil, what's the wildest fact you know about Nicolas Cage? Well, I feel like I know a lot. Actually, I, f- I felt like this was a- an easy one, but this one actually might be wild for some folks, uh, which is that in 2010, uh, Nicolas Cage pro- procured a space in a uh, cemetery in New Orleans. It's the St. Louis One. It's the oldest cemetery in New Orleans where he had built a pyramid-like tomb where he will eventually lay down to rest permanently once once he's done being Nicolas Cage. Uh, and inscribed on it are the Latin words omnia ab uno, which is everything from one, which a lot of folks have theorized is, uh, feels like a fairly direct reference to one of the movies we're going to talk about, National Treasure, and Nicolas Cage's love of pyramids and Freemason iconography and <laughs> Latin phrases that are on money, or at least sound like they're on money. So yeah, Nicolas Cage... Um, my 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 housemates, my good friends, had just uh, gone to New Orleans and came back and were like, "Yeah, we went and we uh, we visited Nicholas Cage's pyramid tomb again." It's like it's an essential piece of New Orleans tourism: beignets and Nicholas Cage's tomb. <laughs> uh, mine's also New Orleans based, so I feel I'll pick up that uh, that trend. Uh, While he was falling in love with the city, he became uh, fascinated by the LaLaurie Mansion, which is a famous haunted mansion uh, where uh, somebody who would later be portrayed in uh, American Horror Story by Kathy Bates uh, kept her uh, slaves in horrible conditions, so horrible that uh, one of her uh, kitchen slaves purposefully lit a fire even though she was chained to the oven uh, to alert people. Uh, the town sort of rebelled and burnt a lot of it down. It has been rebuilt. Nicolas Cage was like fascinated by this story. He buys it. And now this is the part that tour guides still tell, uh, but I don't think he's ever actually confirmed. He spends one night there, gets freaked out by like the weird sounds the house makes, never spends a night there again, declares bankruptcy and has to give up the house. So he spent one (laughs) night in a haunted mansion and was just too freaked out, man, to ever spend a night there before. I mean, it must be great to be very close to bankruptcy, but also have the means to buy a mansion and not sleep there. Uh, so that's that's my Nicolas Cage fact. He, he found a map uh, and a cipher on the back of the U.S. Constitution that was like, go buy this house. This is yep. what you deserve. He's like, and- yes, excellent. <laughs> um. Well, I have another puzzle piece to this whole adventure, which is that the one of uh, some of the things that drove Nicolas Cage, surely one of our most successful blockbuster actors of the '90s, Oscar winner from Generational Wealth, Nicolas Cage, drove him to bankruptcy. Um, and it is the fact that at one point he owned 15 residences across the world. Two of them, two of them were castles. Um, he also un- owned a number of other like eccentric items, like $150,000 super- Superman comic, a 70 million year old dinosaur skull, because you have to decorate these various residences, right? right? So right. Appropriately, um, the, I won't imagine. The aforementioned tomb and an octopus. And when he was talking <laughs> to the New York Times about this, <laughs> he was defending his choice of buying an octopus. And he said, what is an octopus? $80? You're not going to go into dire straits buying an octopus. Um, it's like real, that was real uh, 
Lucille I tell energy. myself about yeah. that about purchases <laughs> all the time. How much is can a banana be? Ten dollars. <laughs> um, but the real reason that he kept buying up all these residences, including these two castles, like not just one castle, but two castles at a given time, um, because he he was on a Grail quest, uh, literally, um, where he was reading all these books of mythology and he was searching for the Holy Grail. Um, so he says it put me on a search around different areas, mostly in England, but some places in the States. He, this is all to the New York times, an interview that he willingly gave of his own free will talking about the multiple kinds of crests of, of, of grails that exist. That legend has that there are two grails, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he says, you read a book and in it, there's a reference to another book. And then you buy that book and then you attach the references. For me, it was all about where was the grail? Was it here? Was it there? His final conclusion? What is the grail? But earth itself. Yes. And if that's not real friends you made along the way energy, I don't know what it is. Yeah, so. I, the grail I wish I could is spend... in the carbon that's all around us. <laughs> I want to spend millions of dollars to come to the Gaia conclusion. That sounds great. <laughs> all right. So that is just like a little amuse-bouche, a little sprinkling of eccentricity from one of our favorite wild-eyed celebs, Nicolas Cage, who worked his way out of bankruptcy, we should say, by making 11 billion direct-to-video movies that I would occasionally see at South by and no one else would ever see. Um, that is Nicholas Kim Coppola, which brings us to you, Neil. Yeah, which means that it's time to discuss what is the best Nicholas Cage movie. And of course, your choice must be a movie that stars Nicholas Cage. That's really the only uh the only rule here. Um, but first, of course, we're gonna have to dismiss a few. We've got a few, we've got a, a really fun, nice try word. I guess we'll start with that. We got a nice try word this week from listener Brian who uh, sent this in for best Nicolas Cage movie. Not a standard contribution, but I truly hope you integrate some of the best Nicolas Cage adjacent concept content community, specifically Abed. Season five, episode two, Nicolas Cage breaks Abed, <laughs> and it has arguably some of the best audio slash script about Nicolas Cage ever. Whether it is how you frame the episodes or how you conclude it, it's essential to the Nicolas Cage experience. Thanks, as always, for being great. Thank you, Brian. We appreciate that. Um, this is a good one because there is, do you guys, can you think of any other like Nicolas Cage, content that's about Nicolas Cage? I mean, I know we will eventually talk about, there's a whole meta movie about Nicolas Cage that's going to be involved in this debate, but um, this is a good one. I feel like there was a book, uh, but I can't remember now. I don't, I don't have a great answer to this other than the movie that we'll talk about later, but uh, yeah, nice try. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I think we would get uh, absolutely roasted if uh, one of the very scant eight spots uh, was Abed in Community. Uh, but <laughs> otherwise, true. Brian, very good try. That's true. So this, and then this, of course, is a prompt that folks can email us, trialbycontent at gmail.com. We're going to be talking about Nicolas Cage for several more weeks. So if you have your favorite Nicolas Cage-related content that does not involve Nicolas Cage in a movie... <laughs> Please send it over. We'll uh, we'll keep coming back to these nice try words. Uh, all right, so we're in the action category, which means we've got to each pick our own toughest cut, which is the one movie that we could not include in the debate. I'm happy to go first on this one because this one does come with a personal story about the time, the one time that I've actually met Nicolas Cage. And it was on a set visit for this film. It's a film called Drive Angry. It's a movie in which Nicolas Cage escapes from hell <laughs> to rescue uh, his, I believe, granddaughter, who is a baby and who has been stolen by a cult. 
And when they were making this movie, I was invited to the set, which was in New Orleans of all places. So this was one of my, uh, one of a really fun trip to New Orleans. Um, and it was a night shoot. So we had to go there. We had to drive out like 40 minutes outside of New Orleans into sort of the backwoods of Louisiana in the middle of the night. And we got there and we started, you know, they started bringing the cast over. They set us up in this like little um, community hall that was like away from the set. And like William Fickner came out and he was great. Um, Amber Heard was there. She was a really fun interview. And then we, you know, we were sitting there waiting. Is Nicolas Cage going to come over? He was like, couple hundred feet away shooting and they were like well why don't you guys come out and sit at this picnic table outside and we'll wait for nick and uh so we sit down and from the distance we see like all the sort of lights from the set and then we see just this one figure riding a bicycle from the (laughs) set toward us and it is nicholas cage riding his bike over and he just rides his bike comes over sits right down at the table, and we just have this totally normal conversation about a movie in which Nicolas Cage escapes from hell for, like... <laughs> I don't, it, it felt like it went on for, like, an hour, and it was at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. That's amazing. And he was just... What was striking about Nick Cage is that he's he has a really interesting energy, like, when you're in, sort or sort of near him. And I think it's more of just, like, the energy... The image that you have of, of Nicolas Cage being kind of a weird guy... There's no way to get over that in like a first meeting with him. But when you start talking to him, he just loves movies. It's it's kind of like the Keanu thing where it's like once you get him talking about movies, it's all he wants to talk about, classic movies, making movies, how this movie is going to do things that are a little bit different than all of his other movies. And, you know, it's it's he really I know he had to work off a lot of tax debt <laughs> and make a lot of movies that, you know, a lot of folks shrug at, but he loves what he does. He loves coming to set every day and uh, and being part of cinema, and that that you could really tell. So yeah, that was the time I sat with Nicolas Cage at three o'clock in the morning in Louisiana backwoods on a picnic table. Can I tell you like a really quick story? Uh, very quick. I interviewed him in 2015, not in person, over the phone for a terrible movie called The Runner that he made. One of his many attempts to dig himself out of tax debt, and um. Uh, he was lovely. Great. But at the end, I, I, because I'm me, I asked him about like something about comic books or something about Superman or whatever. I was like, well, you're a fan of comic books or something like that because he famously is. And he, as actors sometimes do, took like odd umbrage to that question. I don't know if I phrased it in a way that made it sound like I didn't think it was okay to be into comic books. (laughs) Obviously I do. Um, But he was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I like comic books, but I'm not sitting here with my tray of lemon cookies and milk and my pile of comic books. And I was like, why was that so specific? (laughs) It just makes me think that Nicolas Cage likes to sit down with a tray of lemon cookies and milk and read comic books. That's how it is. That's how it goes in my head. Like, I don't, I don't understand how you pull that specific example if you haven't done exactly that. So Nicolas Cage, yeah, you couldn't I, make that one up. I am devoted to your contribution to the culture. I think you're incredible, and I hope you enjoy your tray of lemon cookies and cold milk while you read your comic <laughs> books. I support you. Well, geez. Uh, Nicholas Cage, if you'd like to meet me, Dave Gonzalez, you can email us at trialbycontent at gmail.com, and we'll set that up. Uh, but <laughs> nice. I'm going to return us to the segment. <laughs> Uh, my toughest cut for this one is just barely an action movie because that's actually more about a uh, pet pig and food. Uh, but it is the movie Pig that asks the question, 
what if America's greatest chefs were also part of some sort of CD underground? And uh, it, it's pretty great. Pig. I would check it out uh, if you haven't seen it. Just wants his pig back, man. Just wants his pig back. <laughs> um, I will go with Kick-Ass, which in my recollection came at a time when like he was in the midst of all these terrible like straight to video movies and he wasn't really making anything like popular and mainstream. And then he made Kick-Ass based on a comic book, Lemon Cookies on a Tray, and um <laughs> and was so fun in it and funky. And it really felt like a sort of a I mean, he had just made bad lieutenant port of call. So I guess I guess that was mainstream. And he made It was all sort of part of this like the cage of sons where he really started that's to what embrace I was gonna say. like Kick-Ass felt like him. very Cajasancy, right? Like yeah. very McConaughey. Yeah. Bad Lieutenant's the right there with it. Yeah, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Season of the Witch. Like, it was a wild time well, to be a know, Cage fan. Again, this is when you saw Some of those are for tax reasons. <laughs> Drive Angry. I mean, I, I really like Drive Angry. Like, it's a fun movie. He made five films that came out in 2011. You know, <laughs> four that came out in 2009. Two that came out. You know, he was just knocking them out. Anyway, and in the midst of all that, he makes Kick-Ass. He's genuinely like so fun in that movie. So that's my toughest cut for Action Cage. Given his sing-songy directions as he burns. <laughs> yeah, it was it was such a gnarly movie, and it was good to see Cage just do some of that fun stuff. Um, all right, cool. So those are our toughest cuts. We we have some other films to dismiss, sort of in the action category. Some of these are also really tough cuts. Uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, we mentioned his uh, chemistry with Angelina Jolie. He also has a lot of chemistry with that car and Giovanni Ribisi. So, like, a lot of good and stuff. Timothy um, Oliphant? Timothy Oliphant. And Timothy Oliphant, yeah. Well, maybe one of my favorite soundtracks to a Nicolas Cage movie is Gone in 60 Seconds. Are you so going to say that really to Joanna City of Angels Robinson over here? <laughs> yeah, I mean. I'm sorry. Dave, do you have a favorite Nick Cage movie soundtrack? <laughs> I, about it. Apparently not. <laughs> Nothing that just like <laughs> leaps to mind. <laughs> Uh, another Is one with it, an interesting it could soundtrack. To you, sorry. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, it's it's. Uh, we'll we'll get to Con Air. Don't worry. Speaking of great soundtracks, um, but we have some other ones that we're dismissing. Mandy, which is a more recent Nicholas K. I mean, this that's a full Cage Assange movie. Like that's once he's come back and uh, is now feeling comfortable screaming in his underwear on screen in a bathroom. Uh, Snake Eyes. Guys, you got Snake Eyes. Uh, so that that one, Firebird. I feel like I've never seen. There's only a few Nicolas Cage movies I've never seen. Firebirds is one of them. I've also I not have, seen Firebirds. I have seen Eight Millimeter once. I think once is enough for Eight Millimeter. That's just the subject matter alone. You, you you watch it once, and then anytime you need to remember, you just go read the plot summary on Wikipedia, and you're like, oh yeah, I do remember this movie entirely true. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've also got Martin Scorsese's Overnight Ambulance, uh, Psycho Drama, Losing Your Mind Drama, Bringing Out the Dead. Uh, we've got the war movie Wind Talkers. Um, we've got the war profiteering movie Lord of War, which still has one of my favorite opening credit sequences of all time. Uh, you guys seen Lord of War where it, it follows the bullet from yeah, like being manufactured to like shooting somebody. Um and, Lord of War uh, just had good marketing, period. Because I remember those posters of like the bullet face, and it was it was. We great. got yeah, we got some passionate emails about 
Lord of War. Yeah, yeah, Lord of War, a uh, pretty good one. Ghost Rider, uh, two Ghost Rider movies. They brought Nicolas Cage back uh, for a leg, almost a legacy sequel, right? Because that second <laughs> one came out a long time after the first one. Um, but so Nicolas Cage, uh, yet another comic book uh, movie that he's done, Ghost Rider. We have the movie next, which uh, Dave and I really had to get straight what which one was next and which one was knowing because they're both sort of about predicting the future. But in the movie Next, Nicolas Cage's character is the one that predicts the future. In the movie Knowing, it is a small child who writes, um, I believe, uh, numbers, some sort of cryptic these, number code. Are these good movies that we're dismissing here in the pre-trial? Like, yeah, what these are, are pretty good. Are they? These, okay. these should be in. Well, here's the thing. We haven't even gotten to Bangkok uh, Dangerous the movies. is on this list. <laughs> well, I, Bangkok I feel Dangerous like you just needs wrote to mention all the Nicolas Cage movie. I mean, first of all, I did. Second of all, I told people to just like delete out the ones that they didn't think applied. But here's the thing: we haven't gotten to it yet. But I do think there's a difference between the best Nicolas Cage movie and the most Nicolas Cage movie, and all of these would fit into one or two, one of, the, of those categories. Okay. Can we wrap it up? Sure, and listen, <laughs> say what you will about Bangkok Dangerous, but it's one of the most iconic Nicolas Cage hair looks because it's the one where, isn't that the movie where they came up with the bird hair? Where it was like, it looks like there's a bird on his head. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bangkok right Dangerous. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's a National Treasure oh. sequel where he has to kidnap the president. There's Season of the Witch. There's... All kinds of fun ones. And as Joanna mentioned, there's a bunch of like film festival circuit, like Prisoners of the Ghostland, Willy's Wonderland that have all been uh, pretty good. Are there any other ones that you guys want to mention? A lot of these are, Joanna's right. Maybe, maybe some of these. Here's here's <laughs> what I'll mention. <laughs> what, I, what we didn't realize while Neil and I were talking about something else that Dave decided to write down literally every <laughs> Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> I mean, all the all the action adjacent ones, and I spent a lot of time looking up the plots to stuff like Rage, Outcast, The Trust, and Doggy Dog. But here's something that we learned from our zombie trial royale previously, and I'm gonna say it here because uh, we've switched up our plans a little bit. We're doing this trial royale. We're doing caged, uncaged finals. The week after, we will be doing more Nick Cage movies. So unlike the uh, zombie trial royale or previous episodes of trial by content. If we've dismissed your movie and you know we're fucking wrong, write in <laughs> at trialbycontent at gmail.com. There will be more cage to come uh, if it has not been represented. Cage bonus. Cage bonus. I don't think we've said here. Should we say what the four <laughs> films are that are what? in this bracket? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. What's in the uncaged division that we will be talking about today? That would be Con Air, which we previously talked about as maybe being the best movie about planes, but we decided it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Face slash off, one word. <laughs> the Rock which is uh, not taking the everything everywhere all at once path, but is about Alcatraz. And National Treasure, which is not Dan Brown's Angel and Demons, but basically is. Those will be the movies we'll be discussing on this week's Uncaged. Next week is our Caged match, which are the more serious, quote-unquote, Nick Cage films. And on that list, it is Moonstruck. 
adaptation, the unbearable weight of massive talent and raising Arizona. And that's who Nick Cage is. That on the serious bracket, unbearable weight of massive talent and raising Arizona are on the list. <laughs> the theme of the third bracket we're doing was originally going to be worse Nicolas Cage movies, but there are really bad Nicolas Cage movies and I don't want to watch them. So what we decided to do instead is like most gonzo Nicolas Cage movies, or if you prefer like the cagiest of Nicolas Cage movies or Neil, what would you like to call them? Cage Unleashed. Cage Unleashed. So that's a whole <laughs> other four movie bracket that we're doing at the end of this month. So we're doing three weeks of Cage versus Uncaged. And at the last week, we're doing Cage Unleashed. And that's where you will find your Mandy's, your pigs, your et cetera, et cetera. But we haven't determined that lineup for sure. So you can still email us, trialbycontent at gmail.com. Okay? Yeah. Great. Yeah, you never know. Somebody could have a really passionate case for the old <gasps> way. By the way... I, and I don't know if Carlos is currently crying on the, uh, uh, our producer Carlos is currently crying on the other side of the call here, but one of our listeners wrote in and asked if we could do a letterbox list of all the movies that we talk about in like pre-trial. Oh yeah, and, like, I shouldn't, all have, sort of I like shouldn't have listed 20 Nick Cage movies. And Carlos is like, sure, I'll do that. Uh, so <laughs> we should suit maybe starting this week. I don't know. I don't want to put him on the spot, but coming soon, a trial by content letterbox account where you can find a list of all the movies we talked about even if they aren't in the final four. Um, and that way some folks can catch up on some of the things that we talked about. Um, like perhaps Kill Chain or Prisoners of the <laughs> Ghostland. <laughs> These are real Nicolas Cage movies. I should or have done vengeance, a game a where love story. <laughs> I should have done a game where it was like Colognes or Nicolas Cage movie title. <laughs> I mean, we could Listen, do that next still time. week because, yeah, we got uh, these again are just the ones that, by their just plot description, seemed like they were in the uncaged category. So this is maybe half. Uh, but yeah, make sure and uh, keep participating. We learned from Zombie Trial Royale that uh, zombie ideas kept coming even after we locked down the bracket. So we've made a little stress release there for you. If you think that it goes beyond uncaged and is actually uncaged and unleashed, trialbycontent at gmail.com. All right, are we ready to actually get into... Let's do it. We're building our own cage pyramid for this. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> what is trial by content if not making up the rules as we go along? Uh, let's start with... <laughs> what is the Holy Grail if not the Earth? It's, <laughs> it's just perfect. like you to consider that. Yeah, we got the Nicolas Cage energy uh, running strong. Who would like to speak up for Nicolas Cage on a plane? I'll happily go first here uh, because I mentioned it's it's soundtrack. We, we actually discussed this briefly uh, when we were talking about our uh, Oscar songs because it was nominated for best song. And it really asked the question, how do I get through one night without you, <laughs> Nicolas Cage? <laughs> It is the film in a, in a haunted house in New Orleans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is the film Con Air, and I have brought uh, to support me a, a chaotic and wonderful email from our listener, lovely Mrs. Long, uh, who writes: After about three days, I've come to a conclusion that we can have no Nick Cage movies without Con Air, a movie that answers the question: What if we put all the worst criminals in America on one plane for some reason, and those criminals hijack the plane? Not only does Nick go up against an all-star cast of bad guys and psychopaths, including John Malkovich in one of his most iconic roles as the main antagonist, Cyrus the Virus, 
and a Hannibal Lecter-clad Steve Buscemi giving a chilling, deadpan performance. And this is this is me breaking in. A really chilling rendition of "He's Got the Whole World in His Hands" from, old, from, from Buscemi. Back to Mrs. Long here, but it is sexy Cage. He went to jail for being a vet and getting in a bar fight. He's got the long hair. He's looking pretty jacked from uh, being in the yard. Uh, he's he's got a slow southern drawl. Cameron Poe is going to land that plane and get home to meet his daughter, who his wife was pregnant with when he was incarcerated. I'm not sure why diabetic Michael T. Williams is on the plane, but it's got heart and they got Cusack uh, is uh, the one on the outside talking Cameron Poe through it. We had not one, but two versions of how do I live without you? And not only two versions, but two different versions with two very similar sounding country music (laughs) stars. and (laughs) I could tell you more about the all-star cast. I could tell you more about the jailbird. But fasten your seatbelts and return your tray tables to the upright positions as Nick Cage is going to land on the strip. Literally, this movie fucks. (laughs) Uh, That's a really great description of Con Air, uh, a movie that is really just about a man who wants to get home and meet his child and give her a bunny and everything goes wrong in between. Uh, Danny Trejo is in this movie doing all kinds of terrible stuff. Dave Chappelle shows up in this movie, and that's one that I kind of feel weird about nowadays uh, with, uh, you know, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's Conair rules, and I think was one of, you know, because this is obviously after Cage had uh, broken out as as a Oscar-level actor, but this is also sort of in his, like, mid-90s run where... Hollywood was really trying to make Nicolas Cage like into like Bruce Willis, but he was just a little too weird to ever get all the way there, <laughs> like to get to like action guy. And I think that that may have saved him. I was trying to come up with an analog for for Cage's career, and I think Robert Pattinson might might be the closest oh. I can get. Where it's like here's a guy who had like a little bit of success uh, early on, got some critical acclaim, and then did some like weird ones mixed in with some like IP ones. I mean, if Robert Pattinson ever got into trouble with the IRS, he <laughs> could immediately become Nicolas Cage. I was gonna say, and like everybody would love it. So. I feel like he's two castles, an octopus, and a grill quest away from <laughs> direct-to-video right? time. But, uh, but Con Air was a really pure era of Cage. And one of the places where he really... He really cranked it all the way up to 11 with the accent, the looks, the line deliveries in this movie uh, are just incredible. Also, Connor, the movie that taught me that you can actually be killed by having someone punch you so hard in the nose it goes up into your brain. I didn't oh. know that that's how someone could die. Is until that the opening no, of Con Air. I, yeah, that's a real thing. And it also traumatized me from the first time I saw Con Air, which is just like, don't hit anybody then. That's, that's what probably became, made Dave... I mean, besides being a small, skinny person who was memorizing lines for movies to try on girls, that's probably also why I didn't I didn't hit a lot of people <laughs> after Con Air came out. Uh, here's I I hear your Dave Chappelle weirdness, but when this movie started and there was a prisoner that would prefer wearing dresses, I was like, oh no, they're going to '90s all over this and make me feel bad about it. They did not make me feel bad about that character. There are some times that this movie has the correctly deft touch 
there are other times that this Deft movie is not a word I would ever use for <laughs> the, <okay>. on air. <laughs> There's a scene where uh, Nicolas Cage's character saves another character from uh, sec- being sexually assaulted by Danny Trejo, and as he's smashing Danny Trejo's character's face, it's like we do not treat women like that. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's the energy of this movie. <laughs> Yeah. When it gets it right. Uh, what, they, <laughs> what they've done is balanced out the worst of the worst, which John Cusack gets to give us like a getting the team together greatest hits lineups of these prisoners as they're being loaded with a guy who's just, he has a moral compass to the point where most of the time he's trapped on that plane to get a guy insulin. That's just, that's, that's the line can't, he draws. Can't leave a man behind. Yeah, and then even when, you know, later on in the movie, uh, Cusack's talking to his wife and daughter, she's like, yeah, you know, he's probably going to stay on that plane to do something right. And I'm like, I, what did you learn in the army about the American legal system to make you think that you want to stay on that plane and stay involved in this absolute clusterfuck? I would have gotten out at the, the dusty... Uh, air, area uh, where uh, Cage decides to stay back on. I, I, I'm I sorry to all of the people who would have died on that plane, but I uh, like there's... Sorry the, to this man. Sorry who, to this man. Uh, who has diabetes. A, lo- <laughs> a lot of these uh, Nick Cage movies, why they're incredibly good is they're constantly balancing just Nick Cage's character versus the story world that he, it's working in. And Con Air does manage to do it by making them both ridiculous, which I think is the sweet spot for Nick Cage action movies. It's like, if he's going to do this, then the rest of the movie needs to rise to meet whatever he's doing. So the rest of the movie needs to rise to meet, like, break out your fine china, uh, daddy's coming home. The rest of the movie needs to... the lemonade, tie (laughs) yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, because this boy's coming home to his ladies. Coming home forever. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it... (laughs) I think it manages to do it. It, it, it has a uh, <laughs> Deus Ex Machina box uh, that has all of his secrets about actually having been paroled that gets used uh, twice in this movie, uh, which is, I think, is a little overuse of that. But that's the point of balancing this movie's ridiculousness. This movie gets so ridiculous. They need to land the plane so Steve Buscemi can be near a child so we could feel weird about Steve Buscemi being near a child only for them to have an action sequence and take off again in the same plane. Like, uh, there's a lot of hoops. <laughs> Con Air jumps through them. And I think my favorite thing about Con Air is while it's happening, you don't feel the hoops. It's while after it's over, you're like, what? Uh, what? Why? And uh, that's, I think, a, a certain type of magic trip that really makes uh, Con Air work. Yeah. I, honestly, I think you hit on something really, really good. And Con Air is a great example of this. I think probably all the movies that we're going to talk about this week are great examples of this. But the ability of someone like Jerry Bruckheimer as a producer to come along and find the other actors who will perfectly show up and raise their game to Nicolas Cage's level, right? Like Con Air works because... John Malkovich shows up and just crushes it like every second. And then when like when it's Cusack and Cole Meany and they're having a little fight, <laughs> fights about being cops, that stuff works really well. It's it's, you know, 
for some reason, when people show up to be alongside Nicolas Cage in a movie, they really seem to understand the assignment. Does that and bring I, us to our next entry? Yeah. Okay. I'm here to advocate for a classic 1997 film in which FBI agent Sean Archer must go undercover as psychotic criminal Castor Pollux. And in order to do so, Castor Troy? Castor, Castor Troy. Troy. Sorry, Pollux and is Pollux Troy is his Pollux Troy. 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 Yeah, that's Castor right. Castor Pollux are the twins, the Gemini. Okay. <laughs> Castor Troy. Ridiculous name. Sean Archer is John Travolta. Castor Troy is, of course, one Mr. Nicholas Kim Coppola. And how are they going to do it? They're going to take their face off. They switch faces like deeper into the movie than you think they might switch faces. It's like 45 <laughs> minutes into the movie before they do it. But they switch their faces, hijinks, and a lot of gunfire ensue. This is directed by John Woo. Um, you get Nicolas Cage pretending to be John Travolta. You get John Travolta pretending to be Nicolas Cage. Phenomenal. Um, and you want to talk about like raising the bar of your performance to match the energy. John Travolta matching Nicolas Cage's energy is just incredible. We didn't get any like super lengthy emails about Face Off, but Face Off was mentioned so many times in people's emails that that's why I made the bracket. I'll read this one from um, our listener, Adam, but um, uh, who wrote, I know it's likely on the list already, um, but I'm going to make I'm going to make my case for Face Off. Number one, the double entendre of the title, two enemies facing off, but they also take their faces off. <laughs> Number two, Nicolas Cage delivers a deliberately uncomfortable scene, dressed as a priest while grabbing a choir singer's butt. He goes full on cage here. Then it is followed closely by the line, I could eat a peach for hours. Number three, the golden guns, which will appear in next week's bracket as well. Number four, somewhere over the rainbow, which plays during a shootout. Number five, the predicament scene, which I'm pretty sure inspired the SNL standoff skit with Jeremy Renner and Adam Levine. And number six, John Woo. Have I heard of him, lad? Yeah, so John, we directed this film, and there's just, like, doves galore. Doves, pigeons, probably swans galore. A lot of slow-mo. A lot Not of shooting, just woo, Shooting handguns. Woo at the wooiest. This is the wooiest <laughs> of woos that you will ever see. Um, we're going to do two supplemental moments to this. Dave, did you have a gun fact you want to drop on us about face off? Face <laughs> off. Off. Uh, this was uh, run by the same uh, weapons master uh, that worked on The Matrix Reloaded, where he met a certain director of the John Wick franchise and became the weapons master for all of John Wick. But while he was working on Face Off, he developed uh, a, a solid plug gun, is what they call them. But basically, if you're shooting guns, uh, a lot of those things uh, can be extremely dangerous uh, because you are still, even if you're shooting a blank, you're just putting a lot of charge out of the barrel. And if those barrels are uh, blocked poorly, uh, that charge could actually shoot something like uh, scrap or a casing as a bullet uh, into a human being or something which is bad. So uh Full solid plug guns means that the uh, gun itself has been reworked, so there is no barrel. There is no way for anything to exit the gun 
through the front. Instead, it's able to just take casings and do the parts that you see in movies. It can eject a spent casing, it can take magazines, but it can never fire something out of the front of the gun. Uh, we're, we, uh, in a recent article about how uh, John Wick 4 uh, and uh, Rock Galati, which is this gentleman's name, uh, was actually very safe. Uh, Galati says that there should never be any sort of like live ammo on on a set, and they're all guns should be solid plug guns, just to take away the even option that something would happen, yeah, uh, like that. happened on the film Rust, where the director of photography was uh, shot with a prop gun. So this all it, it's even though Face Off has the John Woo gun craziness, it actually is a step forward in uh, on screen gun safety thanks to the full plug gun. You know, from the mid nineties. And Hollywood totally learned everything they needed to know from that experience. And it's well, been fine since. Never had particular, issue again. One particular team did, which is why the John Wick films are safe. Okay. And then before, you know, we, we open up the floor to general debate about Face Off, incredible film. Um, <laughs> I have a prompt for you, which is that if you were to do a face off with one person, who would you do a face off with? I'll go first to give you time to th- to think. I would do a face off with Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I would go oh, wow. <laughs> to Washington, and I would just start making sense. And that sounds just really fun <laughs> to just like blow everyone's mind by like. I mean, I I don't know a lot about politics, so I'd have to like there'd have to be a humorous montage where I try to actually learn about politics. But once I did, I feel like I could do it better than Marjorie Taylor Greene does it. So that's how I save America. <laughs> By face-offing <laughs> with Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> that's nice. That's very. That's a very noble uh, gesture of you. I didn't see that this question was going to be asked, but uh, it actually sounds like Neil has brought it to me. I would switch faces with Robert Pattinson in a second. I think he'd be into it. <laughs> Because it's not so much about me getting to live his life. He also has to be me. And if anything of what I've read about his COVID experience is actually true, I think he'd be fine with my indoor life being like on podcasts and having opinions about movies. And I would go (laughs) off and film the second Batman. And that that sounds great to me. Oh, it does sound great. I I hope Java enjoys her time with Robert Pattinson. (laughs) Java would also enjoy her time with Robert Pattinson. Neil, who are you doing a face off well, with? <laughs> I mean, initially I had a similar thought to Joanna. I was like, well, what if I could rectify one of society's great wrongs by just looking like Elon Musk? <laughs> right? Because I could immediately make Twitter better, redistribute all of his wealth, uh, cancel all the terrible things that he does constantly. But the problem is I would have to look like Elon Musk. <laughs> And I'm also, sorry, no do you think I want friend- to look like Marjorie Taylor yeah, Greene? <laughs> it's a problem for me. I have like, no complaints. I, I don't know if choice. it's worth it. I, I don't care how many billions of dollars he has. <laughs> still not worth it. So I think it would be more like uh, Ben Affleck. But because, not because I want to like date J-Lo. Listen, J-Lo is probably great. But I just want to hang out with like, Ben Affleck seems to be able to just show up in a bunch of movies and hang out on set with some of like the great directors like Ridley Scott just like tosses him in to the last duel and he gets to go be weird and have fun and then the rest of the time he's just like sad and running back and forth to Dunkin Donuts 
I want that life. I'm ready. <laughs> Fa- for ben yeah, vape Duncan, vape Duncan. Yeah, like I would even do the part where I work the drive-through at Duncan once a month just to show that I'm a man of the people. So uh, <laughs> I think it's Affleck. <laughs> if you want to email us at trialbycontent@gmail.com and tell us who you would do a face-off with, I may or may not read some of your emails next week on week two of the cage match. All right, so that's face-off. What else, what do you guys want to say about face-off? I mean, it's, it's a fun. I, it's <laughs> It's a fun movie. I think there's some of the stuff. I mean, they really crank the creepiness of Castor Troy up. So it's like this, the soul of that character is extremely creepy and grimy. So whoever is playing him at the time has to play that. And that stuff's always uh, kind of weird, but you know, it's, it's in line with the character. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, John Woo knows. I, I, I'll never get over the part where they're back to back on the mirror and they, they pull away from the mirror and they're facing themselves, but about to shoot each other. Oh, bro. It's just, that's the, that's the height of John Woo's visual poetry <laughs> right there. Uh, plus uh church with no walls for more doves. Uh, also, True. also important. <laughs> I think revisiting face off doves. Okay. Sorry. Revisiting face off. The movie is so ridiculous. Uh, from uh, things like uh, the 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 prison rig uh, to the actual face-off procedure to the entirety of Castor Troy's character to John Travolta and Nicolas Cage playing these characters I think is equally as ridiculous. Um, I actually, Neil, had sort of the opposite opinion where I'm like, isn't it quaint they thought this was hardcore? Because I've seen <laughs> so much worse shit past the year 2000. This is like 90s, like we're going to be, you know, intense and like gritty. And like, of course, like this guy who's like one of the most extreme criminals in the world. Also, every one of his henchmen has a secret briefcase with the the gum and shit that he likes just in case he ever shows up. It's like, it's all ridiculous. But the thing I like about this movie is it goes ridiculous right at the beginning. And because of that, as we escalate, es- escalate much like Con Air, I am completely like, of course, this was, this is how it's going to go. I think it kind of crescendos in uh, Nick Cage in the Castro Troy face uh, takes drugs and gives the title of the movie with the hand gesture where it becomes like peak cage, but also like the movie can't recover from that level of just like clarity of vision. Uh, Because right after that, we have a gunfight where he's trying to save his phantom child, which is really his enemy's child that he doesn't know exists. And it really twists itself into knots, but it twists itself into knots. So at the end of the movie, when they're like, this is the climactic showdown near a marina where they all have speedboats with the keys in them. That is the buy-in that Face Off <laughs> needs to buy, build to. And I think it does. Uh, it's, it is very similar to Con Air on the ridiculous scale for me. Uh, but both of those movies, I think, knew well enough to build it into their DNA. Right as Face Off starts, everybody is ridiculous. The Face Off starts with a child being shot in slow motion <laughs> and that's how it goes yeah on a carousel then becomes this like phantom carousel and it's a whole thing um i thought i remembered face off and i did i remembered a lot of face off but i definitely misremembered and thought it ended in the church and i'm like they definitely shoot each, shoot each other in the church with all the birds right <laughs> and completely blank that there's a whole like 
15 minute. No, it can't be mm-hmm. that long. Very long boat chase. Forgot that, about the spear gun. The spear gun. <laughs> I did. And and uh, unlikely savior Margaret Cho. Like, there's a lot that I forgot about. So, um, yeah, face off. I had a great, I had a great time with face off. Really fun. Yeah, so far, two movies, two good times. Let me try to keep that up with the the movie in the mid-90s trilogy that we are going to be putting against these two. It is Michael Bay classic. Sean Connery classic, uh, The Rock. Uh, this will be summed up. Uh, many of you wrote in, but I picked Caroline for our email, uh, which is first, I would like to say that as a proud feminist and movie enthusiast, I loathe Michael Bay. Oh, this is the section that Neil wanted to cut. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> blast me against Michael Bay. I can't Bay. believe I left this in, but go ahead, Dave. <laughs> His vision of cinema, <laughs> there are no words to describe my dismay. It's sexist, and uh, there's no plot to 99% of his movies, and his filmmaking style hurts my eyes. He's a disgrace to cinema. But guess what? This movie has men in it. That's Dave talking. And now back to the email. <laughs> Caroline continues that being said I'm nominating The Rock for your Nick Cage competition The Rock rules it's for my money the best post Oscar role ever I love Nick in it Ed Harris's blue eyes Sean Connery is fantastic in it and it's just a great diehard butt on Alcatraz movie Nick calling himself the rocket man as he launches a rocket at a terrorist come on that's gold so don't make me ask how in Zeus's butthole did they not select The Rock Congratulations, The Rock is here. Uh, I I love this take on The Rock as Die Hard but on Alcatraz because I always considered it uh, the James Bond movie that came after Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, Just like, and then James Bond got caught and several years later had to help Nicolas Cage with a Ed Harris uh, Alcatraz invasion. Is it because he asked for a suit? Is it because he does like, ask the for first thing he asks for is a mm-hmm. shave and a suit? The feel of a suit. <laughs> Shoot. Uh, it, it is pretty great. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty well-crafted uh, action movie. Uh, Caroline is correct. Maybe not the best uh, representation for women here, but that doesn't <laughs> mean that uh, they are unrepresented uh nick cage does have a girlfriend and (laughs) much like sean connery has a daughter and they're both in san francisco so it's personal stakes that's right much like uh face off takes much longer to get to the face off than you would think this movie starts with a heist of poison a uh speech about how america has failed its soldiers and uh, gas, toxic, noxious gas inside of a baby uh, where Nicolas Cage reviews to stab himself in a heart, all building to a San Francisco uh, chase uh, that uh, wrecks a lot of that town. This is all before we get to the actual rock. Uh, And then once we get there, it does sort of become like a diehard on the Alcatraz. And I mean that in the best possible way. Uh, Yeah, Joanna. Quick point of order, uh, great email. Quick point of order, just so no one needs to write us an email. I believe the rocket man in question was the candy man himself, Tony Todd. Yes. That it's you. Inspiring. You're, the, the, rocket you're the rocket man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen to soft ass shit. I love Tony um, Todd forever. 
uh, I had a great time with The Rock. Connery, I hadn't watched it since the 90s. Connery, like, really takes us to another level. I had a really, really good time, especially, like, once they get on The Rock. It's great. Um, John Spencer, uh, terrible FBI director, John Spencer, hating Sean Connery is less interesting to me than crawling, crawling around the sewers of the of Alcatraz. Uh, one criticism I have of The Rock, this is it. It's not. It's not the weird way in which they use women in this movie, which is... I've come to expect from Michael Bay. It is the criminal underuse of Michael Bean. Why is <laughs> Michael Bean in this movie for like 10 minutes? Why would they do that? Because um, he cannot anyway, get that order. Justice for Bean. Bean there. Stay tuned for my podcast I'm going to do someday that's called Bean There. Done that. And it's the <laughs> filmography of Michael Bean. <laughs> I I will enjoy many of those episodes of uh yeah, that at least podcast. at least 3, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, The Rock. I think it, it, of of the move the four movies that I watched for this podcast, The Rock is the one that I think I would be able to show to somebody who hadn't seen it before with the least amount of preamble as to why I was making them watch it. Uh, it is very, it is very focused on its tone right from the beginning, uh, much more so than I think the other three movies in competition here. Uh, and I do, it's, it's in like a sweet spot, uh, for Michael Bay because to push back on Caroline here a little bit, Michael Bay without any budget constraints is very often too much. This is Michael Bay doing the best that he can with a budget that mostly involves buying Sean Connery. And he does it great uh, in terms of the restraints and uh, riding the line between military accuracy, which he sometimes is forced to push for by partnering with the U.S. military, and VX gas pearl configurations that have chips embedded in the center of them, which is absolutely ridiculous. The Rock maybe has the least amount of rising to the cage performance to do out of, out of our movies. But I also think uh, might be somewhat better for that because it's not like cage is not uh, doing the best, especially once it's just him and Connery on the rock. He really unleashes with the intensity. That's the thing about the rock. First of all, I, th- I still contend that this is Michael Bay's best movie. I think it, it will always go down as much. It's, it's in the Criterion Collection for a reason, friends. The is Rock. it? It is. Uh, and Armageddon. Uh, never forget. Wow. But, um, but yeah, there's something about Cage's performance in this movie where he begins, right, as this character who we see do this super harrowing thing, disarming this fake baby, uh, you know, poison gas bomb with uh, Todd Loizzo in there um and from high fidelity uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so he starts off as this very capable character but then it becomes this fish out of water story immediately where it's like it's very clear that Sean Connery's character is a real field operative and Nicolas Cage's character didn't even remember to bring his gun so it 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 becomes anxiety cage as the movie goes along and he sort of becomes more rattled and it works perfectly with Connery just not having any of it for the entire runtime of the movie. So, yeah, I mean, I think the action in The Rock, I, I think it's the best crafted movie that we're talking about. Um, like I said, whatever you feel about Michael Bay, there is no denying that this is easily one of, if not his best film. And Cage crushes it. I have to go with the um, 
film Twitter favorite, Pain and Gain. I think that's my favorite Michael Bay movie. Mm, but this might sure. be a close second. Yeah. All right. Last but not least. Yeah, here we go. It's me again. I'm here <laughs> to hold a grudge. This movie <laughs> was the movie that when we were making this bracket last week had the most emailed entries. So I'm going to try to do the best to represent your choice, the people's possible choice, <laughs> national treasure. Uh, the email I picked uh, is from Hannah. I did not pick the one that was from a Canadian, even though I really thought that was funny. Here we go. Hannah says, though I doubt this is the first entry you're getting for National Treasure, it wasn't. I felt as though I had to vocalize my support for this movie and franchise. Being a late 90s baby, National Treasure was my first exposure to Nicolas Cage. Not only does the movie captivate your spirit of adventure, but it somehow serves as a perfect primer for what an absolute liability Nicolas Cage is, both on and off stage. Having been eight years old when this movie came out, it was no leap that someone who would steal the Declaration of Independence absolutely would buy a dinosaur skull and exotic pets. This movie <laughs> truly serves as 2004's best attempt at rallying patriotism by reintroducing uh, a not-as-handsome or exciting Indiana Jones. Today, as a 26-year-old, not only is this movie giving me some of the best memes, but it still holds up as being a serial adventure that prompts self-reflection. One, would I die for the Declaration of Independence? No, absolutely not. Does that make me unpatriotic? <laughs> By this movie standard, yes, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> Two, should I know more facts and dates around our country's birth and history? Absolutely. Thank you, National Treasure, for reminding me to read some more nonfiction books. Hannah, that is a great summation of National Treasure and a perfect use of plucking yourself out of like this timelessness we've been existing in and saying that because you were eight years old and this movie came out, you liked it. I think it was shooting right for you. The person who didn't know what Nicolas Cage was, who was maybe too young for the more intense Indiana Jones movies and who went to go see National Treasure uh, knowing, you know, what an eight-year-old would know about civics. Uh, National Treasure, guys. It is not a movie for adults. How dare you include it in this poll? Who would like to <laughs> expand upon that? Yeah, with love and respect to Hannah. And I was defensive of this movie last week when Dave went hard on it. And then I rewatched it and I was like, man, I just don't really like this movie. Um, but if you were eight, like, I think a lot of people who wrote in are like people who might also like, I don't know, the Phantom, like the prequel Defenders. You know what I mean? It's just sort of like you were the right age when it hit. And you and so you love it. And I'm sure that there are films like that for me where I was just the right age and I will like go to bat for, you know, a movie. But um, when you put it in that bucket with like The Mummy and Indiana Jones, which are just like fucking phenomenal films. And then you get National Treasure and you're like, they're not even letting Cage go full Cage at all ever. Um And there and there's no we talked about this a little bit before the pop. There's just like no spark. With Dan Kruger's character, I don't know. I just don't get it. I I think it should be funnier. I think it's. Sh I think Nick Cage should be weirder. I think you can't ask Justin Justin Bartha to carry like all of the like zazz. Uh, zazz is not a word. Uh, <laughs> Vim and vigor of the movie <laughs> on his shoulders. He can't do it. There's a reason they left him up on a roof in The Hangover. So um, yeah, I'm. I don't love the National Treasure movie, but I respect everyone who was the right age when it hit. Yeah, and listen, it's a it's a good movie for folks who like uh, dungeons that are also puzzles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because I love puzzles, though. It definitely <laughs> is, is a lot of puzzling. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it really does fit into like it's sort of this weird hybrid of like Night at the Museum and 
the angels and demons. <laughs> um, oh, Dan Brown. Dan Brown stuff. Um, but I was trying to think of like which versions of Cage are represented in each one of these movies. And like Con Air, you have like heroic Cage, right? Like I'm going to do the heroic thing no matter what. And then Face Off is obviously unhinged Cage. <laughs> and then The Rock, I think, is anxious Cage. Like he's like full anxiety comes out, but he's a pretty good guy. And honestly, when we get to the end of The Rock, I'm really happy that you know they they went and found the microfilm in the in the the pew leg of the church in Kentucky. But National Treasure, as I was rewatching it, I was like, this is it feels like a very constipated version of oh, Nicolas Cage no. because the, it's like both the humor. There's just something about like pounding him, pounding his character Benjamin Franklin Gates with like daddy <laughs> and granddaddy and American history issues, just like compressing on top of him at all times. Seems to really weigh him down. And also, as you mentioned, there's just like no chemistry with Diane Kruger. I don't get who it. Who is a lovely actor and has yeah. been great in a lot of stuff. It's just the way those two characters are written when you get to the end of National Treasure and they do that, oh, that's because we are dating and they like kiss. <laughs> And you're just like, wait, what? They're just dating now? <laughs> like, with they and Kruger, they're This nerd, really? They're, <laughs> they're obviously trying to do, like, Ilsa from, you know, Last Crusade. And and Diane Kruger could do that. Like, on on a on a, any given Tuesday, Diane Kruger could do that. But it's not hitting in this movie the way that it needs to. Yeah, I, don't I, know. I just think they load that character with too much other <laughs> stuff going on. That it doesn't really ever register that there's, like, a romance plot happening until sort of right at the end <laughs> what is what is uh america if not daddy issues throughout history what is america if not stealing wealth from around the country and hiding it where nobody could find it sure or at least trying to keep it out of the hands of sean bean and his jamie lannister hair i feel really bad because like so many people wrote in about their love for national treasure and i'm sorry we don't like it more than you guys do but it's going in the poll and it'll probably win so it doesn't matter <laughs> i mean there are things i like about it like it has one of the funniest and Product placement is a big thing that comes up in a lot of Nicolas Cage movies, uh, especially the Nicolas Cage movies of the 90s. But uh, National Treasure has maybe my favorite one, where the the girl who works in the gift shop is like, we take Visa when he doesn't have enough cash to buy <laughs> the Declaration of Independence. And then that's a plot point because he <laughs> yeah. uses his credit card. And that's how, they, that's how they get caught by the FBI for the credit card slip. <laughs> uh, it is... Uh... <laughs> Okay. I like it. I, I also, I enjoy Justin Bartha in this movie. I think I figured out why. Mostly because that character is who I would be in that situation, which is the guy who secretly wants to stay around to find out all the information, but is going to say um, all of the most sarcastic possible comments at every turn and does not be interested. So, uh, you know, I felt represented a little bit by Justin I'm, Bartha. I'm the kid who's going in to get the code three letters at a time in the most inefficient way whatsoever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Obviously a pre-smartphone movie uh, right here. Yeah. Uh, also, um, I don't know, recast John Voight. Like, uh, John Voight's uh, dungeon crawling movies, he's not good at any of them. I don't. Wow. I don't understand why Tomb he kept Raider getting just like <laughs> taking strays bullets right now. Well, that's fine. You know, they're all connected. You know, it's the it's the he shows up to National Treasure and he's like, I've heard some rumors about you and my daughter and gone in sixty seconds, and it, it brings it all it brings it wow. all full circle. 
Like we're all uh, in one massive dungeon. We're never. Gonna I mean, like Rip Torn's still alive in 2004. Give me someone who could actually be gruff. And, and give me, give me Steve Zahn instead of Justin Bartha, and we might be in business. Yeah, yeah. Let's recast National Treasure. This, this is the Bill Simmons it. way. <laughs> Let Cage uncage himself. Put sure. Steve Zahn in there. You can Rip even keep Torn, Diane Kruger. Sure. Yeah, Diane Kruger can be there. I, I believe in them. If they if they do a different version of this, All right, last thing I wanted to do before we we go uh, is just randomly. There's just like especially in these not National Treasure necessarily, but in these others movies, there's just a though there are a few National Treasures. There's just like a bunch of that guys who show up, and you're like, oh my god, that guy's in this movie. These movies are stacked deep in the cast. So I was wondering if you guys wanted to shout out one or two that guys that you were like, oh, I didn't realize that guy was in this movie. Uh, Dave, you I do. Go? Yeah, yeah. So uh, John Carroll Lynch, who has been a that guy for a, a long period of time, but I uh, learned his name after he played Twisty the Clown in American Horror Story <laughs> and now see him everywhere. He's a prison guard and face off. So when he showed up there, I was like, oh, hey. Uh, and then also in um, uh, in uh, the, the Rock, there is a gentleman whose name uh, Duffy Gaver who uh, nobody should really know his, he's not really a that guy, but after he stops being like military uh, that guy in a whole bunch of 90s movies, he becomes a personal trainer, specifically the one who took non-built Chris's and made them into Marvel superhero Chris's. He is the personal trainer for both Hemsworth and Pratt um, and made those bodies happen. So what up, Duffy? We see you. In the rock, Dave, Dave and I think about you a lot, Duffy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Neil, do you have any you want to shout out? Uh, I've got a couple actually. One which was an all time, uh, not, not necessarily a that guy, but for me, when I saw The Rock, I was like, oh my god, Claire Forlani, it's what's his name's girlfriend from Mallrats. <laughs> and uh, I just very specifically remember them being a part of my experience with the rock. Uh, the other one is a really great, that guy who's sort of always in the background. Uh, he's in national treasure as one of Sean Bean's henchmen. It's uh, an actor named Oleg, uh, Taktarov, who is a UFC fighter who shows up. He's shown up in a lot of like Michael Bay. Um, I think it's more of a Bruckheimer thing. He shows up in some Bruckheimer stuff. He was in air force one. Uh, he's in bad boys Two. He actually plays sort of a really fun, I think he's Stormare's uh, business partner slash, guy who gets chopped up in Bad Boys 2. And uh, he's just got one of those really, really awesome action guy faces, right? Like you see him and you're like, oh, I get it. Russian hench guy. That's the dude. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I love it when he shows up. And I kind of forget. The other one I forget is uh, Christopher Plummer. Because I always remember that John Voight is in National Treasure and yeah, John Voight. But when Christopher Plummer shows up and, and brings it in every movie that he's in, it's at least a good time. <laughs> um, I have a couple. They're all from Face Off. Uh, Face Off is just like a tre- <laughs> nice. treasure trove. Um, first of all, he's not a that guy, but Tom Jane's just like really in the movie for about five minutes, and that's incredible. Uh, shout out the prison in Face Off with the magnetized boots and the electrified floor, and out on the water somewhere, completely copy pasted over for Nar- Narkina Five and Andor. Not mad about it, but it's pretty funny. Um. And then Tommy Flanagan, who's uh, you might know from Gladiator, Sons of Anarchy, Chibs, and Sons of, Sons of Anarchy, shows up as like uh, like 
Caster Troy seems to have like several different little pockets of henchmen, and he's just like one of the one of the pockets. The like, ones who get suitcases <laughs> with his like yeah. rider in it. Those and are the quite, those are his pockets. He's quite he's quite young, but the like dis- the the distinctive scars is scarring up. And then last but not least, one of my favorite that guys of all time. Chris Bauer, a.k.a. Frank Sabatka from season two of The Wire, plays this, like, <laughs> big Russian guy, <laughs> like, with an outrageous Russian accent um, in the prison break sequence. And I was just like, Frank Sabatka, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had a great time with the, that guy. Straight too far from the docks, Frank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, the that guys love to show up in Nick Cage movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's just their thing. So a reminder about how this works. We're going to have four films in this poll this week. The top two get to move on to our finals, which will be taking place in two weeks, which means if you want us to talk nicer about National Treasure, vote it in the top one or two spot, and we'll have to talk about it again. Otherwise, your choices for this week in the Uncaged Division are Con Air, Face Slash Off, The Rock, and National Treasure. You can find our poll for the uncaged division of this trial royale on theringer.com, at Ringer on Twitter, and for, for while we can, and in the Spotify app where you will find trial by content. You choose the winner, plural, winners. We'll announce it next week so we will know who the finals are. Neil, remind us again the various things people could email about as we move into this cage match. Well, yeah, I mean, next week we're doing our, our caged Division, which, as Joanna mentioned, will include Moonstrung, Raising Arizona, Adaptation, The Unbearable Weightness, Weight of Massive <laughs> Talent, The um, Unbearable, the unbearable, unbearable Lightness of Being. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Unbearable Weightness of Massive Talent, a movie, a meta movie about Nicolas Cage. So you can, if you want to talk about any of those movies, that's great. You can also, of course, send us your uh, nice tries. We'd love those. Anything you want to say, trialbycontent at gmail.com. We will uh, continue to read through them and just keep talking about Nicolas Cage for several weeks. It's going to be great. Uh, Tie the ribbon around the old oak tree. (laughs) Break out the china. Chill the lemonade. (laughs) We'll see you next week. This episode was produced by Carlos Cherubo. (laughs) 